Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. We're finally back again. I think last time I introduced the pod, bigger and better than ever. Looking back, that was a bit optimistic. <laughs> After a month away, we're finally here again. Um, yeah, to discuss the latest Copa Libertadores action with me as we hit the quarter-final stage of the competition. We have three correspondents based in three different South American countries. Firstly, me, your host, Adam Brandon. Secondly, Simon Edwards in Colombia. How are you, Simon? I'm good. I'm good. I'm a bit injured, a bit too much football. It's caught up with me. I'm, I'm getting a bit old, but uh, enjoying some Libertadores and uh, yeah, looking forward to discussing everything. And last but not least, Austin Miller in Argentina. Hey, Adam, good to be back with you. Uh, big week for Chilean football, I know, with uh, the pride of Chile, Roberto Tobar, <laughs> handling things well uh, at the Maracanã last night. I-, I know you were just beaming with pride the, to see Chile's positive the, contribution to Libertadores. <laughs> the standout performance of the week in the Copa Libertadores, I'm sure we can all agree. Simon, for you, I, I think all you have is, is Wilmar Roldan at this point. Ooh, t- tough going in Colombia. Yeah, well, he's he's a protagonista in most of the games, so you, you can't say you don't you don't notice him, which is you know is important for a referee, I think. It's it's, it's probably between Tobar and uh, Roldan for the final. It's going to be yeah with it with a high probability of an Argentine side being president that that will ruin that uh, will ruin the opportunity for for old Nestor Pitana. Um, Adam, should we, should we talk about the actual football or a whole podcast on the refs? I'm good either way. I can do both. <laughs> I think we could save our pod dedicated to Bobby Tobar another day. Um, we're going to start with Tuesday night's game between Gremio and Palmeiras. It was a game which wasn't easy on the eye, in my opinion. Um, but a moment which certainly was easy on the eye was Gustavo Scarpa's superb 35-yard um Thunder bastard, I think we can call that into the into the roof of the net. And then in the second half, we also saw some wonderful scenes with Filippo Melo getting sent off and crying as he as he left the field. Um, I'll come to you, Simon, first for for your thoughts before we hear our resident Palmeiras fan, Austin. Yeah, well, you know, I'm impressed by Palmeiras. I know you like attractive football and attacking football and you, you don't enjoy the the nasty stuff, but I am always impressed by Palmeiras. It's a proper team. Like, they are very organised. Again, you say it, you're, you're right to say this wasn't the most attractive attacking game. Gremio had a good amount of possession. They, they had a few good shots, but I was constantly impressed by how organised Palmeiras were how quickly they broke away on the counter-attack, how dangerous they, you know, how dangerous they were and how they posed a threat always going forward. You know, I I, I think Palmeiras are one of the favourites. I said it for a while, and I, and I think just not only the quality of their team, which is undeniable, um, you know, it's a strong, strong side, um, which I think is getting stronger. I think uh, Adriano up front, the former Shakhtar player, it's a useful addition, um, really helps them. And they've got Dudu out wide with the pace. Gustavo Scarpa is a good player. And then Felipe Melo, the embodiment of everything good and bad about this Palmeiras side. You know, I think they're a proper team and I was really impressed with them. As, as, as impressed as you can be with a team that 
likes a tactical foul, doesn't mind a bit of grit, <laughs> the occasional, uh, you know, push here and there, a bit of intimidation. They're a proper Scolari team. Um, I, I thought Gremio were, were using the ball and playing some nice stuff without posing a huge amount of threat. They, they did have a few decent shots on target, and particularly once Melo had been sent off, they pushed a little bit more. But I, I was really impressed by Palmeiras. I don't know. I, I, I understand the criticisms and it's a side that doesn't play the most scintillizing, scintillating football. But I think it's a very well-organized, effective, efficient team. What do you think, Austin? I'm being so complimentary for your side. I know. You're doing my job for me here, Simon. I feel like I don't even need to add anything. I think a lot of the criticism with Palmeiras, and I don't, I don't want to speak for you here, Adam, but I think a lot of the criticism from you and from others is they spend so much money that you want the football yeah. to be better than it is. That's, that's exactly it for me. It's like I, I don't necessarily have a massive issue with that style of football. I just find it a little bit depressing when it comes from the the richest teams on this continent. And I understand that, but I think, look, it's a, it's a results-oriented business, and Palmeiras, to their credit, have gotten the results. Uh, they won the Brasile down pretty handily last year. This year, uh, you know, semifinalists in the Libertadores last year, going out to a very good Boca Junior side in that competition. Uh, this year fell a bit early in the Brazilian Cup to Internacional, are a touch off the pace being set by Jorge Sampaoli Santos right now in the Brasile down, but still a lot of time to turn that around. Now, that's the that's team I'm looking forward to seeing next year. Uh, the stories already. It'll be interesting to see if Sampaoli sticks around for year two, but yeah, absolutely. I, I think they'd be a great addition to the competition. Um, and in the Libertadores this year for Palmeiras, but this was the best that Palmeiras have looked after the Copa America. They'd thrown away a couple leads in the Brasile down, pegged back for draws when they should have been wins. In fact, at the weekend, in the exact same arena against the exact same Grêmio team, obviously different starting lineups considering the Libertadores match, Palmeiras scored early and then were pegged back late on in the match to have to settle for a 1-1 draw in what should have been a 1-0 win. The question mark for me for Palmeiras going forward is will they regret not maybe taking more advantage of their dominance at points in this match? 1-0 away from home in the Libertadores against a good team, it's a good result. But there were opportunities for it to have been two. Uh, Dudu hit the post on a really good strike. Had that gone in and had this been 2-0 to Palmeiras, I think this would be tied on and dusted. But going back home, there's a lot of pressure on Palmeiras. The Libertadores is the obsession of this team this year. They won the league last year. They'd obviously love to win it again this year. But I think priority one for Palmeiras and also for Flamengo is the Libertadores this year. Although Flamengo would probably just take any trophy at this point. But for Palmeiras in particular, Libertadores is the obsession. Will they get tight? If Gremio can score early, can they maybe take the match to Palmeiras a little bit? Palmeiras won't play expansive football. We know that much. But can they score early and maybe put some of that pressure away? But the longer Gremio stays in this tie in the second leg, I think the better chance, obviously, they have of, of maybe getting something out of it. And I could really see a 1-0 win for Gremio and maybe sending this tie to penalties. So good performance from Any, Palmeiras. They need to back it up, though, in the second leg. Anyone know if there's a popular chance? In in South America, about the Libertadores being an obsession for the, for the clubs, <laughs> I believe there might be. It's going to be an interesting one for um, Palmeiras in the second leg because they are so good at closing off the space. No team on the continent is better than them 
at defending collectively. So, you know, obviously Melo will put himself about, but their defence is, is impressive because everyone does their job. Dudu does as much defensive work as, as Luan at the back. Uh, and he's an attacking winger and he's the first guy to, to be on the breakaway. But at home with a 1-0 lead, it's a tricky balance. If any team can can hold on to that lead and maybe snatch a win, it's probably Palmeiras. But if they settle in too much and, and focus too much on on defending that lead, uh, it could create problems for them if they get too pinned back. Again, this game really showed how good they can be on the counter-attack. And I, and I like what they do. And on, honestly, for Gremio, it looked like their goal was going to come from a corner with Kahneman and Yenamel coming up from the back or or maybe Everton hitting one from range. But for 90 minutes, Palmeiras never really let Gremio in behind them or, or to create too many clear opportunities. So Palmeiras have the quality to defend this lead. But if they rely too much on that, they could lead themselves to, to be pinned back and and even as strong as this side is, if, if you're defending for that long, then it can create problems. So it's going to be an interesting one to see how Scolari sets up because, you know, 1-0 is, is, a, is a good result, but it's also a dangerous result, uh, especially at this stage, the Libertadores with nerves, with potential for cards and for lots of things. VAR giving away a penalty for a handball. You know, there's lots of factors if you try to defend too much. So it'll be interesting to see how they approach the second leg. And one final thing, you mentioned it, Simon. Uh, Luis Adriano, a huge upgrade up top for Palmeiras. I really liked what he brought. Very composed, very controlled player. In stark contrast to Palmeiras' other two striking options, Miguel Borja and Daverson, who are a lot more frantic. They don't do so well at the hold-up play. I thought Luis Adriano fits Palmeiras' style really well because if they're going to counter and if they're going to defend really well and then hit, having a target that they can play that ball to and then have him pick the next pass is, I think, a huge upgrade for this team. And that could be kind of the thing that finally puts this Palmeiras team over the top. Yeah, it gives them far more fluidity in attack. Obviously, Borja wants the ball you know, behind the defense or into feet and Davison is, is more... You know, frantic and fluid, and and a bit more direct. And a sure, bit more... yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. That works. I, I also want to make it clear at this point that my criticisms of Palmeiras is simply on their playing style. There is absolutely no denying that they're a very effective team, and Scolari has done a pretty good job in terms of um, making them so hard to beat. In fact, in our Copa Libertadores predictions on the WFI website at the start of the year. Um, I wrote, last year's semi-finalist Palmeiras still looks strong and will be hard to beat. I have a feeling they may just get the job done this time around, although it might not necessarily be thrilling to watch. So, you know, I think they're living up to my my billing there so far. But uh, let's see if they can get the job done. And um, if they do reach the final, will you be coming over here to Santiago to see it. Austin. Yeah, Adam, as of now, every indication I have is that I will be in Santiago for the big Copa Libertadores final. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to hit some of the semifinal matches as well, as I'm sure we'll get to some of those matches looking particularly tasty. So uh, quite the Libertadores we've been treated to, and, and the final should be a great spectacle. And Simon, I'll, I'll just come to you, because uh, you know, I know that we, we kind of had this discussion um, off the podcast as well the, the other day. What, what was your reaction to the ticket prices? Um, I can I can tell you that here in 
Chile, it hasn't been a particularly positive one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's going to be stronger reaction down there because you guys might actually go. <laughs> you know, in Colombia, I'm not sure how many people are actually planning uh, trips to the Libertadores final. Hasn't been a, a an important concern for a while. No, but I mean, it's a good <laughs> indicator yeah, for these finals going forward because I'm sure Colombian. Uh, Colombian City is probably in the mix for next year's final, for example. So it gives you some idea of this whole neutral final, just how difficult and expensive it could be for the average fan. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Copa America coming up as well, which is going to be a, a big question with ticket pricing and that as well, uh, which will be here in Colombia. No, it's it's unfortunate. It's difficult. And, you know, the demand is going to have to depend massively. There are clubs which have enough rich fans to, to 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 buy the tickets but it means we're relying only on rich fans and it, and it becomes a luxury and it kills the atmosphere and the cost of travel in south america is so so high that it's only it's only an option to, to travel for many by bus and it's a long old bus journey particularly for a neutral venue neutral venues in itself creates problems in terms of filling the stadium with the true fans People will travel, but it, it you know two hundred and fifty dollars is a huge amount of money. It's it's not far off, you know. It's not far off the monthly minimum wage here in Colombia, if to put that into context. And you know, fifty percent of one the, the the average ticket price is something like one sixth of the average um, Chilean monthly wage. So you know, for for the certainly for the average Chilean, it's 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 a real luxury that. I doubt very very few people will will be paying out for, especially as the cheapest tickets aren't even available to to the locals here. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate and it's difficult, and you know it, it doesn't seem like a sensible focus for for the organisation. People want to buy the product of South American football for the atmosphere, and if the average person that the stadiums are animated the, the atmosphere is delivered and built by the the poorer people from society often who lead these barras and these fan groups who, who who lead the atmosphere in a stadium and these aren't people with with a huge amount of disposable income and it becomes a massive massive luxury uh, you throw in the transport and you and we don't know who the it's going to be a big team in the final this year but in the future it may not be but it's issues. worth pointing out that they've definitely got lucky this year because, <laughs> yeah. you know, pretty much all the teams realistically left in the competition who will get to the final, you know, are, are huge clubs with massive fan bases and with enough rich fans who can afford to come. Yeah, so it's unfortunate, but not necessarily massively surprising. Uh, and again, this year, Santiago is accessible relatively in, in South America. And it's going to be a big club that they'll probably sell the tickets out this year. But it's unfortunate that it means that only certain people from society can even consider uh, being able to support their team in, in the biggest game of, of their lives for many people. Such a such a terrible decision to, to make it a one-off game, in my opinion. And I think that is shared by the majority of kind of you know the the bars and the, and the, and the, just the general fan uh, across South America from everything I've heard, seen, and, and even the fans I've I've talked to from various clubs here about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's the same experience for you in Colombia. No? Yeah, you get to the final. You, the whole city is preparing for that game. Everybody is is at the stadium, is in the streets, is you know having that 
centerpiece, having the biggest moment in your club's history in the town is crazy. There's just fireworks on every street corner. And and obviously you'll get some of that with a one-off final, but having the, the, the party in town uh, really adds something to it. And, you know, people will have tattoos and have memories for the next 60 years of the 2016 final here in, Nas- in, in Medellin when Nacional won. And uh, to deny that experience will be unfortunate moving forward. But there we go. Okay, let's move on. One of the sides which will have high hopes of making it back-to-back finals is uh, is Boca Juniors, uh, runners-up last year, and, and they got a superb result in the altitude of Quito uh, this week, winning 3-0 away to Liga de Quito. Austin, I'll come to you, I'll come to you first on this. It was a comfortable victory for Boca Juniors in the end, but it was facilitated by some poor defending and and um, and some naive decision making from the Ecuadorians. No? This result was quite surprising to me. I expected things to be a lot more difficult for Boca Juniors, and I think just about everybody expected things to be a lot more difficult for Boca. Obviously, you factor in altitude, uh, which has historically been quite difficult for Argentine teams in particular, um, but that didn't seem to have much of an effect on Boca in this match. They played well. Uh, they kind of refused to give Liga de Quito many chances in this match. Um, and then they scored early, which is, is always helpful. And as you said, a lot of this can definitely be put down to some less than stellar play from Liga de Quito. But give credit to Boca Juniors. I think this is the best that I've seen them look this year under Alfaro. Um, Ramon Abila is what he is and will continue to always be what he is. But he is effective at this level, and he was, again, scoring the first goal for Boca. A great long ball from Alexis McAllister to, to feed in Abila, who somehow manages to... Out, he outran the Liga defense like on three separate occasions in this match, which for somebody who is largely incapable of, of running is quite impressive to me. Uh, but, okay, tip of the cap to Abila. Got behind the defense, rounded the keeper, finished off, 1-0, boom. And then that really allowed Boca to kind of settle in to this match. They didn't have to necessarily worry. They had an away goal so that it would have probably taken three or four from Liga for Boca to feel uncomfortable going back to La Bombaneda. Instead, it just went from bad to worse for Liga. I thought Antonio Valencia played well at right back. I thought he was the most dangerous player they had. There were a couple moments where he got the better of, of Mass, the left back for Boca. But other than that, Liga really didn't offer that much in this match. They uh, had Jefferson Oroweli get sent off right before halftime for a red card that I'll let Simon explain a little bit more. is probably a red card, but is still a tough one for the player to, to take in that situation. And then Boca got the second half started off really well. Reynoso, a free kick, boom, top corner, 2-0. At that point, that would have been more than enough for Boca to head back to La Bomineta comfortable. But then they decided to add a third late on. Uh, an own goal eventually charged to Caicedo. It was Abila again, the danger man, whose shot went off the goalkeeper, then off Abila, then off the defender, and trickled over the line to really put this tie to bed. Liga are probably not scoring three times at La Bomaneda, and given what they showed defensively, they're definitely not scoring three times without response from Boca Juniors. So it is a long road back. The big story for Boca Juniors uh, in this window since we've last recorded a podcast is Daniele De Rossi, uh, the Italian legend, the World Cup winner, 
on the in the Boca squad was on the bench, did not feature in this match. Uh, I think a lot of that is probably due to the fact that he's literally never played at altitude and might not have survived more than like 15 or 20 minutes at altitude. I would imagine that he'll get the start in the midfield for his Libertadores debut at La Bomaneda in the return leg. Boca probably will be able to rotate a bit for that match. They actually will have a Super Classico against River Plate the weekend following the second leg. So a good chance for Alfaro to, to rotate through his squad a little bit ahead of that Super Classico in the return leg. Again, an impressive performance from Boca Juniors here. And they're all but through to the semifinal after what is probably the best that they've played so far this year. Would you agree with that assessment, Simon? Yeah, I thought they were very good. I mean, I can look at it in a positive and a negative way. I, I, LDU, Liga de Quito were uh, so shambolic and it was disappointing because they can attack fluently and fluidly and it's it's nice and it's quick and it's technical and it's it's fun and it's good. But they're playing like they're, they're not taking it seriously, <laughs> just in terms of how sloppy they are at the back. Uh, the first goal that Avila scored, yeah, great pass by McAllister, but... He just ran in a straight line and, and he was the only man forward at that point for Boca. He just ran straight through the middle of the defence and received the ball and rounded the keeper and uh, and the LDU and a trot in big trouble. This Boca team is, is good and they have a lot of different ways that they can attack and they can play. Avila, again, he's a, he's a target man, but he's very efficient, if not particularly stylish. Um, and he can be effective, but when he you got Sarate and Salvio cutting in from the sides. Macalis are pulling the passes. And on the bench, you look at their bench. Daniele De Rossi, Carlos Tevez, Sebastian Villa, Frank Fabra, Soldano. Don't Gianna do this Tavo. Tevez thing. Come on. No, we saw this Tevez thing look. last year. Having Tevez at your bench at the, on your bench at this point isn't anything. Don't throw his name in there. No, my point is they've got like six internationals on their bench. And Tevez... <laughs> albeit a, a generation ago uh years ago you know he was an international and just the fact it's like they're cheating so they've got a cheat code for the list it's because south american teams aren't supposed to have this many big big stars but respect to boca juniors they they played good football and they've got good quality and the fact that they have uh camposano who was national's best player by an absolute mile sitting on the bench probably behind uh, daniele de rossi now as well in that in that deep holding midfield position shows how much quality and how many options they have. I liked Boca Juniors' energy as well. Um, they pressed well. Obviously, it helps once you get that early goal. You have that momentum with you. And I think Miguel Aquito looked a bit shell-shocked. Um, maybe I'm finding excuses for how sloppy and oof, careless they were. Um, but I was disappointed that Miguel Aquito didn't seem to have a clear plan to prevent Boca Juniors from scoring. That really should be the minimum when you're an underdog in a tie, albeit altitude. At least know how you're going to stop them scoring. Um, and they just shot themselves in the foot. I, I could see Liga de Quito of sc uh, scoring goals in this game, but I always felt that Boca Juniors were going to score more. And uh, and they did. And McAllister was good. The defence looked good. Very comfortable throughout the game. And yeah, no, very impressive dominant performance from Boca and uh, they can have the luxury of rotating and they probably won't get much worse if they did the, the quality they have on the bench. And part of what I what I expected out of Liga was due to the fact that they had a lot of connections to that 2016 Independiente del Valle squad. The manager, Pablo Repetto, 
Orduela was in that Del Valle squad, the man who was sent off. In fact, there were more players from Independiente Del Valle's 2016 match with Boca Juniors on Liga de Quito than there were on Boca Juniors, but they just didn't have any of that sort of spirit. And as you said, Simon, they just weren't organized enough at the back to, to survive against a team that was as clinical as, as Boca was on the night. I think Boca have improved quite a bit from then as well. I have, to, I have to say, as reflected by those changes you mentioned. I would agree. I, I had some concerns about them lacking a bit of width. And, and while obviously Sarate and Salvio like to cut inside, they they also you know provide good balance. And I think they're, they're lively. And, and I can definitely see a lot more fluidity in this ta- attack now. And uh, yeah, you know, McAllister coming in has had a, an immediate positive impact. They've got the experience of De Rossi coming off the bench and... They could always bring on Vio if they want a flying winger. I, I think uh, they're really putting together a side that can be very proactive and control a game, but also can respond to circumstances and, and switch things up if they need to. Uh, now, while I was so positive about Palmeiras' chances, you know, Boca Juniors, again, this, you, the more you look at it, it's a team that really should be, uh, you know, potentially in the final and, and fighting for this title. And they're really organized under Alfaro. They're a clean mm. sheet machine, and that gets you far in these competitions, as we know from years past. Let's move on to talk about Flamengo, uh, who beat Internacional 2-0 in an all-Brazilian affair in Rio. Um, this game was, again, quite a difficult watch for the majority but it came alive in the last 15 minutes I think it's fair to say especially with Bruno Henrique grab, grabbing uh, a brace in the space of four minutes to send the to send the to send the stadium into raptures um, and I think it was um, it, it was it was it was just about deserved in the end. Maybe not a two-goal lead, but certainly I thought Flamengo were the ones trying to play more of the football in this one, and um, and I, and I think they I think they deserve to be taking a lead to Porto Alegre for the second leg. No, Simon. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's just about right. I, it was a game that was really dragging for me as a, as a neutral. You know, I was keen to see what was going to happen, but. It was just it was a bit bitty and a bit you know tetchy and I was I was really surprised how Rafinha was really throwing himself about pushing everyone around screaming waving his arms in the air really got into the Copa Libertadores spirit yeah it did seem like they were that both teams were kind of more interested in trying to get a sending off on the other side than actually scoring a goal. Um, uh, at, at times in this one actually it, it remarkably it finished 11 against 11 I, I just had to look that up because <laughs> I thought there must have been a red card at some point yeah I mean I think it's I think part of it was like two teams that know each other to other well there's there's a respect and like a distrust or, you know they, they just didn't want to give their opponents anything and they were doing anything to kind of sneak an advantage but Rafinha must have pushed the opponents about six times I was thinking if, if he just falls on the floor you can get sent off but you know I think they were a bit too he macho to Rafinha didn't get booked until the 83rd minute remarkably <laughs> so amazing <laughs> but you know I think I'm sure Flamengo fans will be delighted to see him really getting involved because he definitely did you know there was no sense of him swanning over to to pick up a paycheck and and say his goodbyes he was he was well involved and throughout the game but you look at how good Flamengo are and, and he would have been nice to have seen a bit more 
a bit more, you know, creative football. You know, I think, uh, again, as it, that really was the story of most of this game, just battles and, and you know, n- niggly fouls and, you know, arguments and Paulo Guerrero and Rafinha were going at it all game. And it was kind of interesting to see, but before the goal, it was like dragging a little bit. And the goal itself was a underwhelming <laughs> scramble, a bit of a mess. Uh, eventually broke for... For Bruno, as as you say, to to tap into the net, but it, it wasn't a great goal. The second goal was nicer. Um, he he kind of showed a bit of a burst of pace and a really tidy finish. He he had a good game, and and it was it was a unsur- it was a surprising collapse from international. Really, the, the 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 goal on the the first goal they conceded was a bit of a mess and a bit of a lack of communication. And then to concede a few minutes later, when you really think they should be tightening up and focusing on the second leg, you know, turning things around. They, you know, losing one nil, they they could have gone into that with a bit more confidence. But, you know, again, it's one of those results where I do think Flamengo will probably score away from home with the attacking quality they have. They didn't look particularly cohesive and fluent, and you know, they the, wasn't quite as sharp as I'd I'd hoped. But there's so many attacking options. You think surely uh, if they're going to be breaking away with pace against Internacional, chasing a couple of goals, uh, surely they'll get something in the second leg and and that should be it. I mean, what do you think, Austin, about this this tie? Yeah, I think how this tie played out for the first 75 minutes of it was exactly what Internacional wanted. They're a disciplined team. They are not easy on the eyes. They don't play a whole lot of football. But what they've done so successfully this year is not concede. And they had played that to a T. I think they looked to be heading towards a nil-nil, which I think would have been a result that they were more than happy with. They always would have loved to, to snatch a goal somewhere along the way, but nil-nil would have been fine. And then it just came undone for them. Um, a couple of errors, I think, building on top of each other for that first Bruno Enrique goal. And then on the second one, uh, just a good bit of play from Flamengo. But... It felt a lot to me kind of like Palmeiras' 2-0 loss at La Bomaneta in the semifinal last year where they didn't play a whole lot of football. They sat on it, and for 80 minutes, they were fine at 0-0, and then Benedetto popped up for two, and bang, it was just about tie over even though Palmeiras fought back fairly well in the second leg. I have the same sort of fears for Inter um, that this is going to be tie over for them. Kind of the final 15 minutes away from home is what will have, uh, have done them in. Yeah, I th- I th- there was two big moments in the last few minutes of this game as well. Um, if I've remembered it right, you might want to help me out here, Austin. But Gabby goal pretty much missed an open goal, didn't he, to make it 3-0? Yeah, completely whiffed on a shot. It was pulled then, back to him and could have just tapped it into 3-0 and put it away. Yeah, and then at the other end, uh, Nicolas Lopez mm-hmm. off the bench had a really good chance for for international to make it 2-1 and um and if that had gone in you know that gives a whole different complexion to this tie yeah i think those are two moments that could certainly could have changed this tie flamengo either putting it away or interpolling back but i I think i'm with simon here that i i see flamengo probably scoring away from home and i can't really see four goals from inter um with flamengo i think they got over the hump of the round of 16. They went away to, to Emelec and lost 2-0, and it looked like they were on the ropes. They scored early on in that yeah. round of 16, second leg, and Although then survived it is, on penalties. It, 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 I think it is worth pointing out, though, that Flamengo hadn't got a great record away from home, have they? In, in Libertadores, in, in 
in recent times. I know it's not particularly relevant given they've got sort of a new coach in in, in place. Um, in but they yeah, haven't got a good Libertadores record. Period. I think it's it's not so much necessarily the home and away split as it is. And yes, they've struggled away from home. It's just they haven't performed very well in this competition for a number of years now. But I think that round of sixteen tie against Emelec kind of gave them the confidence to to go out and to grind something out like this against Inter. I think a match like this, we would have seen Flamengo of a couple of years ago give up a late goal and, and end up you know on the wrong side of it. That wasn't the case here, and I think they can feel pretty good about a semifinal spot at this point. Indeed, indeed. Let's, uh, let's move on to the game we've just seen this evening, and that was River Plate 2, Sarah Porteño. Zero. Austin, I'll come straight back to you on this. Um, this was, in the end, a pretty comfortable 2 0 victory for the reigning champions. And they, they must be heading to Paraguay pretty confident of making it to the semi final and facing off against their great rivals, Boca Juniors, once again. At first, Adam, when you mentioned the game that we just witnessed tonight, I was scared you were going to ask me about the nil-nil Corinthians and Fluminense just played out in the first leg of their quarterfinal in the Copa Sudamericana. Uh, thankfully, you did not ask me about that game because not a whole lot to report from the Arena Corinthians tonight. This was good from River Plate. I think 2-0 is probably a fair result from what they, they showed. Um, the first 25-30 minutes, River looked at a completely different level than Cerro Porteño. River are coming off a 6-1 dismantling of Racing at the weekend, and they showed it. They got a penalty early, the type of penalty that you wouldn't have had in the era before VAR. Uh, the Cerro Porteño defender kind of misses over the ball, puts his studs into the shin of a River Plate attacker. It is a penalty. But it's the type of penalty that goes unseen a lot of times without the assistant of, of, of video review. Not the case here. Nacho Fernandez tucks the penalty away. Boom, quickly 1-0 the river. They had a host of chances uh, in the next kind of 20 to 30 minutes of this match. They could have gone 2 or 3-0 up even to really put it away. And then Cerro Porteño started to, to bite back a little bit. And River kind of fell into the trap of... of Fighting with Cerro, Cerro Porteño and you know pushing and shoving and yellow cards and elbows and dives and that's kind of what Cerro Porteño wanted. I think they realized pretty quickly they couldn't play with River at least not tonight. So they tried to grind this match to a halt and see if they could get out of Buenos Aires at one nil, and they weren't able to do that because in the second half River Plate first scored and then had the goal pulled back by video review for a handball in the buildup. And then they earned another penalty. The Cerro Porteño keeper off his line, took down Palacios in the box. Pretty clear call. And this time it's Rafael santos Boré with a great penalty from the spot to put it away. River 2-0 up. And that was how it finished tonight in Buenos Aires. And as you said, Adam, a, a really good result for River. I think they can feel pretty confident that they're into the semifinal. Maybe not as confident as their big rivals, Boca Juniors, but it's hard to see Cerro Porteño coming back from this. River were comprehensively better than they were tonight. And Cerro Porteño's only hope really was to try to grind River into some mistakes and keep it at 1-0 and then maybe hit them in the second leg. But two is a lot. Simon, it, it felt like that Cerro Porteño were more interested in, in maybe trying to get a River player 
a River Plate player sent off and trying to score an away goal in this game at times. It felt like. Yeah, I mean the first. I mean the first twenty minutes. I don't even know what they were trying to do. To be honest, um, when it broke down to a big argument, that is when they really came into themselves because the first twenty minutes it could have been three or four, and it really should have been because. Tactically, they were an absolute mess. Second half, they came out far better. I think uh, Camilo Saiz came into the defence. Colombian guy. I had to, had to throw in a mention there. But I think he did help them <laughs> defensively. How have you managed to work that in? <laughs> how have you, how have I managed? Help, help me out here. How has he managed to turn this Sarah Fodenio 2 0 defeat into a major victory for Colombian football? <laughs> Look, man, you got to take what you can get. When your only continental representative is La Equidad in the, the Sudamericana, defenders coming off the bench to tighten the ship, even though they gave up exactly the same amount of goals in the second half as they did in the first half. Look, man, you got to feature in PR, Simon. Hey, no, like, I think he did quite good. I, I like him, Saiz. Anyway, more importantly, tactically, they were absolutely ridiculous. Um, Carrizo, I think, in theory, was playing left midfield, but he was basically a striker for most of the game. And uh, Asamendia, the interesting young fullback, was very, very narrow. Um, there was a huge amount of space in front of the defence. River had, again, lots of nice fluidity. I think Santos Borre is amazing. <laughs> Although I'm not allowed to say that because he's Colombian, but a big fan of him. Uh, Colombian or not, I think he's a really important player for River. Uh, and I think there was a lot of fluidity with Suarez and Palacios. and it was, it was good from River, but there was so much space. And particularly Montiel pushing forward from right back. I had a look at the heat, the heat map and average positions in the first half, and he was the second most attacking player for River because he just had so much space. Arsamendia was starting very narrow and then arriving late with uh, Montiel already breaking into the box down the right-hand side. Uh, just tactically, they were an absolute mess, and, and they did really benefit from the big argument for 20 minutes before the halftime whistle. Second half, they came out better, um, and, and River... You know, again, had their chances, but weren't as all controlling and dominant in the second half. But a very comfortable win for River. And again, I'm sure they'll score in the second leg. And, and whatever Settle will do probably won't be enough. Um, wasn't particularly impressed with Settle, but then you're, I have been in the tournament and they, they'll have a great atmosphere in the second leg and they'll do what they can. But again, tactically, they, they didn't have the discipline of of someone like Palmeiras or some of these teams we've seen. Um, and if you're an underdog, you have to be as committed, as disciplined, as organized as you possibly can be. And Cerro Potenio just let themselves down in the first 20 minutes that they weren't really in this game. They were fortunate. It wasn't more than two nil and a uh, very, very controlling, comfortable win for River in the end. Okay. Well, I, th- I think that that's us done for this week. I'll come back to Austin Austin, um, do you have anything to plug? Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. I would also encourage our listeners to follow at the Libertadores and at the Sudamericana for all the latest in English from each of those competitions. At the Libertadores, you can watch all of the goals from this week's action. I think you can watch all of the goals. I think they're up there. You can definitely watch highlights from all of the matches from this week. If you want to see that Gustavo Scarpa Golasso we talked about earlier, that's up there. If you want to watch River Plate score two penalties, that'll be up there as well. So all of that content will be there. I, I definitely encourage our listeners to check that out. And Simon, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter, at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, for 
mostly Colombian stuff, but then a bit of everything else. If you want a golazo, check out the Johan Carbonero, a U20 Colombia player. Hasn't quite made it onto the scouting spotlight roster yet, but he's a, he's a good player to watch out for. Maybe one day reach that level, but he scored from inside his own half. Wonderful goal for Once Gaudas. You can probably see it on my Twitter, but check that one out. And yeah, follow me on Twitter. What about you, Adam? Yeah, you can find me at AdamBrandon84 on Twitter. And uh, and yeah, I think that's us done for for this week. And hopefully we will be back to talk about the second legs of, of these ties and preview the semi-finals coming up in October, I believe they are. And ahead of the final, which, which takes place in November. Um, hopefully we will be able to do some other pods um, in the next couple of months as well, catching up on on general South American topics, football topics over over the next couple of months. Um, all what's left to say is a big thanks for Austin to Austin and Simon for joining me on, on this pod, and a huge thanks to you, the listeners, for choosing this podcast once again, and it's goodbye.